Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. This is not a negotiation. I'm running this team because the Reinsdorfs want me to, and I'm going to run it that I think is best. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. I think your play is embarrassing. The pro player thing, this is basketball. Follow Locked On Bulls on social media, on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pat, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked On Chai Bulls. Our players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Locked on Bulls What's up and welcome into now. Locked on Bulls, Here part of the Locked on Jordan Podcast Malley Network, streaming Pat. live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter, at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. We're on Instagram, at Locked on Bulls, on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked on Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line at 331-979-1369. Drop all of your text, all of your voice emails whenever you're listening to the show wherever you're listening to the show 331-979-1369 march madness underway hopefully for all of you you out there with nine to five jobs got a chance to either listen to the games on the radio had a chance to sneak away put your phone in front of you while you were doing some work these are probably the two most unproductive days of the workforce all year but nonetheless, the games were fantastic yesterday. Matt's, is your bracket doing good? Are you, did you survive it all? And for all of our listeners out there, is anybody perfect? I was looking up the stats today. Only 0.25% of people have perfect brackets after day one. Matt, I am 13-3 and three after the first day. I feel pretty good about myself. How you doing, though? Happy Friday to you. What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Happy Friday. Uh, I am also 13-3 and three, uh, through day one. Uh, we're getting underway. First tip-off as we record this on Friday morning. Um, my three losses yesterday were... Nevada laying an egg against Florida, which I was pretty bummed out about. Didn't see that one coming. Um, Belmont was uh, the upset pick I had yesterday that didn't hit. Uh, and they, they really they had a lead late that they ended up coughing up to Maryland. So that one was tough. And then I, uh, I, I thought the Gophers were going to lose to Louisville. And instead, the Gophers just like sank a million threes even though I think I saw there were the 285th ranked three-point shooting team in D1 <laughs> college hoops this season so that came out of nowhere so those were the three losses I took yesterday but uh you know 13 and three for day one's not yeah bad. it's not bad at all and I was telling you through the first eight games I was perfect and there was only five percent of people that had filled out brackets that were perfect so I was feeling pretty confident in the nightcap of games. Unfortunately, that's where I picked up my three losses. I ended up, didn't help me out at all. I ended up losing with the Nevada game. I took Syracuse over Baylor. And then I had a little bit of an upset going with uh, St. Mary's and Villanova. I took St. Mary's. So I ended up finishing 13-3 and as well. But pretty good start to March Madness. A lot of uh, chalk 
with these games going through the first day of the tournament. And you know, Matt, when you look at the March March Madness, when that happens in the first day, you really do start to set yourself up for day two as a lot of upsets tend to happen in day two. So could potentially be setting ourselves up for a Friday with a lot of upsets. So cross our fingers, for me at least... I hope that doesn't happen because then my bracket is completely blown wide open. Yeah, I uh, I don't have a whole lot of upsets today. I know that a lot of people are uh, are taking UC Irvine to upset Kansas State. I know that's a pretty sexy upset pick today. That's a 1 p.m. Central Time tip-off. I stuck with Kansas State on that one and actually have Kansas State going on through two rounds in this tournament. I think they're just kind of getting looked past because of some minor flaws that people are exaggerating. Um, a lot of people are taking Oregon over Wisconsin, uh, which is a 5v12 that's actually probably a lot closer than that seating would indicate. But I am sticking with Wisconsin in that game uh and i think some people are also pretty uh pretty keen on taking 12 liberty over five uh, mississippi state but i'm not falling for that one i'm sticking with mississippi state yeah i think the only upset i have today is oregon over wisconsin that 12-5 game which mm-hmm. i think a lot of people are on I think a lot of people are on that 12-5 upset, especially if you're a better out there. This is like the perfect weekend to bet. Yeah, Wisconsin is just a minus two. Wisconsin's a weird team, man. And Oregon had been pretty hot, so I've got them beating Wisconsin just because I remember Indiana pulling off an upset win at home just recently about a month ago over Wisconsin. So uh, a lot of it's going to rely heavily on Ethan Happ. So we'll see if if Wisconsin can hold up to their seeding. So should be an exciting, exciting day of day two in March Madness. But Matt, since we're talking about March Madness and we'll get into some other Bulls stuff in a minute, but let's talk about some of the exciting action from day one. Let's start first with the game that we told everybody to watch. And I'm sure a lot of Bulls fans were paying attention to this game, the three o'clock game, Marquette versus Murray State. This was the game that we all paid attention to. Holy crap, man. John Morant, man. He showed out for everybody that maybe wasn't paying attention to Murray State all season long and only watching highlight clips of John Morant. The dude showed out yesterday. What did you think of his performance yesterday? I mean, I think it was just as amazing as we all hoped it would be. Uh, He didn't he didn't go crazy uh, scoring the ball. He finished with just 17 points, but a pretty efficient five of nine, including hitting both of his attempts from behind the three-point line. But uh, when he was asked about his game and his stat line after the game, uh, he said the thing that he was most pleased with was his 16 assists. And that was time and again watching. I watched the entirety of this game. The thing that stuck out most about John Morant that is just so uh, so fun to watch, and I, I guess you can't really say it's underrated as much anymore because people have started to come around to the notion that he's more than just a dude with crazy explosiveness and and uh, you know those insane verticals that led to he had a pretty Derrick Rose esque dunk uh, you know in that game yesterday afternoon that had everybody going nuts, um, but to me it's the court vision. Like a lot of people knock this kid because they say, oh, you know, he's not like. He's getting overbilled because he plays in an easy conference and, you know, his level of competition isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And, well, okay, 
Yes, Marquette was kind of on a backslide coming into this game, but they're one of the better teams in the Big East, which is a pretty respected NCAA basketball conference. I mean, you're talking about Xavier, Georgetown, Butler. Like these are like you know Creighton. These are real basketball programs with and with Marquette recently always being one of the best of that Big East conference. And John Moran picked them apart. His court vision, drive and kicks to to you know his shooters behind three point range, the the bounce passes he can make, the full court passes he was making yesterday. I mean. Every single one of those 16 assists was a beauty. I think one of the most impressive things, too, is I was trying to look up how what's the most assists anybody's ever had in a single NCAA tournament game before. Mark Wade from UNLV back in 1987 against Indiana in a loss, 97-93, had 18 assists in that game. So John Moran had 16, was close to tying that record. That is insane, right? That is absolutely insane. And the thing I was telling you, too, is I think a lot of people were thinking that John Morant was going to be the guy to go into this game and have to do a lot of the scoring, right? And he ended up, for the most part, I felt like in that first half especially, distributing and doing a lot of that. So his the focus was away from him and allowing a lot of other people on his team to do that and causing defenders to be like, oh, oh, crap. We got to defend other guys on this team, not just John Morant, and it opened up a lot of other things for him. And like you said, I think the skill set for him displayed yesterday was unbelievable. And then the step back three that he took at the end of the first half, that was absolutely filthy. Oh my God. Absolutely filthy. That that looked, that looked <laughs> yes. like James Harden. Like that, I mean... Motion for motion, that was a James Harden step back three, and it was disgusting. And then um, his dad was interviewed, too, and said, you know, of course his dad's going to say that he should go number one in the NBA draft. But, uh, yeah, his dad was pretty hyped before the game. Um, Then there was talk, too, on Twitter during this game about people wanting to start a conversation about should there be an argument or a debate about John Morant going first. I'm not on board with that. I'm not even going to have that discussion. No. Zion, number no, one, I, far and away, above. Let's not even start that conversation. John McGrant is a great prospect. It looks really good. Zion is far and above. Way, way better. No doubt in my mind you would be a fool not to take Zion first. Yeah. I, I You know, people who are starting to talk about him threatening Zion for number one, I think are just crazy and getting caught up in the moment. And, you know, hopefully we'll see if if Murray State, you know, uh, can keep this run going. They they won't have it easy because they got to play Florida State tomorrow. And uh, that that's a pretty darn good basketball team uh, that won fairly handily yesterday. So we'll see if uh, if Jock can get him through another round. But, you know, the the hype, the hype is real um, and it's deserved. He played, a you know, aside from his seven turnovers, which was the the disappointing part of his game yesterday, but like the, the kid handles the ball so much. Like he is the definition of primary ball handler. Um, so, you know, you kind of expect to see that. And of course, you know, these kids make mistakes. Kids, uh, you know, kids are usually pretty like wired and nervous uh, for their first game of the tourney. Um, but all things considered, I mean, a- and he chipped in 11 rebounds. First triple double in the tourney since Draymond did it in 2012. 
Seven years it's been since a triple-double in the tourney, and John Morant did it and made it look easy. Yeah, that is wild. And then I think one of the broadcasters at the end of the game had mentioned to him, too, that this was the first triple-double against or for Marquette since Dwayne Wade. Wow. So that brought a smile to John Morant's face and said that was pretty cool, too. So um, pretty good company to be in if it's Draymond Green and then Dwayne Wade, too. Yeah. I mean, that's hard to ignore. And then you also think about, two John Morantz being a guy that averaged a double-double to a guy that's averaging the points that he was and also the assists he was and then coming off the heels of Trey Young, too, uh, who just did it a year ago. Pretty exciting stuff. And Matt, I had mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, too. I was pretty skeptical at the beginning of the season about, you know, can he translate to the NBA uh, playing against the competition level in the conference that he was playing in? I'm fully sold. I really am. I'm fully sold on everything he can do, even the defensive limitations that he has and a little bit nervous about that. Still, I don't care. Like he is, uh, if the Bulls have the, the second pick or have the opportunity to take him, I will be fully on board and excited to have John Moran as a Chicago Bull. Yeah, and I think that's um, not not necessarily set in stone, but it certainly uh, pushed the needle even further with his performance yesterday. That behind Zion, who is still head and shoulders above every other prospect in this draft class, Zion's, or I mean, uh, Jaws definitely making his case to be number two ahead of R.J. Barrett, ahead of anybody else. And that's the scary part when you think about this lottery that's coming up and where the Bulls are right now and winning some of these late-season games. And I don't want to get into percentages right now, and I know everybody knows how this works, but if you just like hypothetically think, all right, say New York wins and gets the number one pick and they take Zion. Say Phoenix gets number two. That Phoenix team is really still desperately trying to figure out their point guard situation. You think they're going to pass on John Morant? I don't think so. If the Bulls don't get one of the top two picks, I don't think they're getting Ja. I think it. I think it, that is uh, a sad reality. If they want this kid, they have to get lucky and get one of the first two picks, or they'd have to to do a hell of an offer to whichever teams are above them to try and trade up and. In this very shallow draft class, I don't know if any any team is going to be open to doing that. Jibber Fredette's not saving the Suns. Checking in for the Bulls, number 32. And he's going to get his feet wet here with the Bulls. Boy, talk about a warm welcome. That's a nice feeling. No. <laughs> Although, good for him, man. Can't wait to have Jimmer back in the NBA. It's going to be great. It's at least going to bring a little excitement to the Suns to close out the season and at least uh, boost a little bit of their, their TV ratings here in the last nine games of the season. I'll at least tune into a couple Suns games for a little bit to see what he does. Um, Been killing it over in China, so... Killing it in China. We'll see. We'll see if he hangs around. He signed a two-year deal. Obviously, the two-year deal, the second year is an option. It's kind of like the Sean Kilpatrick deal that he signed with the Bulls at the end of the season. They signed him to that three-year deal, but all those, those two extra years were options, so... We'll see if he hangs around, but um, yeah, this will be a nine-game showcase for him. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. You you uh, you, you mean Sean Kill <laughs> draft pick, right? <laughs> oh man! Speaking of just uh, lottery positioning, and while we're talking about the draft and all of that, I had to breathe a deep sigh of relief yesterday 
thinking about the Bulls and where they are at and looking at the Hawks schedule and where they were at because the Hawks were sitting at three and a half games behind the Bulls before they played the Jazz last night. I kept a close eye on that game and the Hawks pulled off a win against the Jazz. So the Hawks are now four games behind the Bulls for that fifth, for flipping, flip-flopping with the Bulls for fourth and fifth. So we all can deep breathe a deep sigh of relief I think, because this now means that the Hawks would essentially have have to lose five of their last nine games, and the Bulls would have to win five of their last nine games in order to flip-flop completely. Now, there is a scenario where the Bulls and the Hawks could essentially tie for that fourth spot, where then you would split ping-pong balls, and you would do a coin toss to see who goes first in picking PTSD those scenarios will play out and that happens but the good thing is is looking through the Bulls schedule and the Hawks schedule and I know I don't want to get too deep into this but there was some people in our text and voicemail line asking can you kind of break this down for us real quick the Hawks' schedule looks like this. Sixers twice, Pelicans, Blazers, Bucks twice, Spurs, Magic, Pacers to end the season. All right, so Pelicans and Magic could certainly be wins. Correct. I think the Pacers, depending on where they are, and if they're locked into the the spot in the playoffs. Right, if they're locked um, in. The Sixers even, depending on where they're playing them, could potentially be a win. Same thing with the Bucks. Right, if the Bucks are resting Giannis or whatever, I mean, we just saw the Cavs beat them uh, while they were resting Giannis. So right, so it gets kind of weird, but ultimately, five losses for the Hawks is not out of the the realm of possibility. The thing that I look up look at more is the Bulls winning five of their last nine games. Here's the Bulls' schedule for the remaining games: they play the Jazz tomorrow night, then they have the Raptors twice. The Blazers, they have the Knicks twice, the Wizards, and then the Sixers twice. So to me, the th- the three that you really worry about is the the two against the Knicks and then the Wizards, who are you know hopeless and with, that we beat just a couple days ago. None of none of the other ones say win to me. Yeah, the the Wizards game. I mean, it just took the Bulls overtime. But then again, you didn't have Zach Levine or Otto Porter, so. Um, it did take them overtime to beat that Wizards team. Uh, the Sixers, the caveat with them is you play them the very last game of the season, one of those two games, so they could be sitting and resting a lot of those guys at the, that very last game, so you could end up picking up a win there. The Knicks, those could potentially be two wins, but then again, you you could play to the competition level and end up losing one of those games. Um well, and that's the thing about the Knicks games that aren't necessarily automatic wins is that the Knicks right now have the worst record at 14 and 58. The Suns are at 17 and the Cavs are at 19. So those are your bottom three. The Knicks don't need to worry about staying with the very worst record. They just need to worry about staying in the top three or bottom three. So the the, the Knicks right now have seven fewer wins than us, the Bulls, who are in the fourth spot. So unless the Knicks somehow, by the time they meet the Bulls, have gathered like four or five wins, then they won't have any worry to say, oh man, we can't win this game, we can't win this game. Because there's no difference between finishing one, two, or three. 
So they might actually be playing those games to say, hell, why not? Like, we've already guaranteed ourselves one of the top three spots in the lottery. Let's go out there and play. And the Bulls might be resting guys. The Bulls might be telling Jim Boylan, hey, let's let's get Felicio out there. Let's get some some really solid bench minutes, which, you know, I know I was griping about their win over Washington. Um, they played a lot of bench minutes in that win over Washington. The Wizards are just that bad. So who knows? You might have something similar happening uh, against the Knicks where uh, if, if the Bulls do rest, quote-unquote, Levine and rest, quote-unquote, uh, Otto Porter Jr., it might be enough to get a loss, at least one loss against those Knicks. Yeah, it's so weird, too, at the end of this season. Like, listen to this. The Knicks, over their last 10 games, are 1-9. and nine. Phoenix is 5-5. Five and five. Cleveland's 4-6. and six. The Bulls are 3-7. and seven. And the Hawks are 4-6. and six. So the only team that's been really bad over their last 10 games have been the Knicks at 1-9 and nine and the Bulls at 3-7. and seven. The three other teams have been around 500. So... I think I tend to agree with you. Like, if the if you're playing the Knicks, yeah, those even if, if it's worst case scenario and the Bulls pick up two wins against them, it's not the end of the world. Because then again, you still have two games against the Raptors. They're still fighting for positioning. The Jazz are still fighting for positioning, and they just lost that game to the Hawks, which they needed. Uh, the Blazers still still fighting for positioning in their playoff battle, and the Sixers too. I mean, you still got one game against them coming up, and then that game at the end of the season, depending on where they are, if they're locked in to their seed, then that could hurt. But if they're not, and they need that game at the end, then they might need to win that game. So a lot of things could happen, but I think the most important thing here is uh, four games back for the Hawks, that's breathing a deep sigh of relief. The The bad thing would have been if they, they would have lost that game last night then three games back would have been would have been really sweating it out. Yeah, I mean, I think that right now it's safe to say, uh, you know what, never mind, I'm not going to say <laughs> that. The Bulls could go on some stupid winning streak, and I'm not going to jinx All right, it. let's get to some other Bulls news as we kind of just wrap up the week. I know i uh, been kind of overshadowed by March Madness going on and some of the Bulls games and some of the things that have been happening in those, but uh, let's kind of update Bulls fans on some other news that has been happening. First, let's start with uh, former Bulls head coach, Fred Hoiberg. So it's been reported that Fred Hoiberg is now going to take the head coaching job at Nebraska. This is not really all that surprising to me. Fred Hoiberg has a bunch of connections to Nebraska, and Kind of had the feeling that he was going to get back into coaching. We didn't really know where, whether it was going to be in the NBA or if it was going to be back into college basketball. Uh, but we were kind of waiting for this this domino to fall, the, the other shoe to drop, and sure enough, it was. A couple days ago, it came out, and now we're just waiting for the season to end for this to officially happen. What do you think about this, and now does this change a perspective for you from the Bulls' angle, Matt, of Boylan's job security, what the Bulls are going to do this summer, and how that money will offset the Bulls owing Hoiberg, and maybe what the Nebraska's going to have to pay Hoiberg over the years, and the Bulls being relieved of that $5 million that they're going to owe him for next season? Yeah, I'm sure if anyone's doing cartwheels over this news, it's Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh, because they were, I feel <laughs> yep. like some Bulls fans had kind of forgotten because he's been gone for a while now 
that they still had Hoiberg on the hook uh, uh, and uh, on their on their paybooks for next season. And so if this does, in fact, come to fruition, that'll be one worry off their list. I know some people kind of talked about all of those clerical trades the Bulls were making before the deadline with Houston and then the one with OKC may have been moves to to make up the, the money to cover buying out uh, either part of Fred's contract or Boylan's contract if they decided to move on from him. Um, so regardless of that, as far as what I think about the you know Fred Hoiberg and taking the Nebraska job, I, I can't think of anything more hilariously Midwestern than that guy uh, after a short stint in the NBA um, switching from Iowa State to, to Nebraska. I mean, it's like it's as you said, it's not surprising, um, especially with his ties to that program. I know that based on some some of the things we heard, Hoiberg was looking uh, or at least open to different NBA coaching jobs because, um, you know, as, as much as maybe there is the the lower amount of stress as far as dealing with NBA egos, which is clearly something that Fred struggled uh, to grapple with, uh, nobody likes recruiting. You know, that's like the, the part about being a college coach that, that everybody says is the worst. So maybe Fred was kind of putting some feelers out and weighing because there's always turnover with NBA head coaches every year there's turnover so maybe he thought some people could see that he didn't get a fair shake you know Steve Kerr stood up for him uh loudly to the media saying that it wasn't Fred's fault the way that things went with the Bulls and you know that he was a good coach and he deserved a shot etc etc I'm not entirely surprised uh that Fred is going back to the collegiate level I think it better suits him I think bottom line he he had no ability to handle an NBA locker room and NBA egos. Uh, and that's not a knock on him as a coach. Uh, and it's not a knock on him as a person. It's just, it was just a weakness to him as a basketball coach. Um, I wish him luck in Nebraska. And uh, I, th- I think it, uh, regardless of how long he ends up staying in Nebraska, I don't think I see Hoiberg going back to the NBA as a head coach. At some point later in his career, maybe he joins an NBA front office somewhere. But I think college is where Fred Hoiberg So there's belongs. nothing official yet. There hasn't been an official offer to Fred Hoiberg from Nebraska. And it could just be semantics. And this just could be to wait to the end of the season officially. But there are a few interesting things happening that could shake some things up. And I'll give those to you right now, Matt, real quick. And before I do that. I, I want to give out the official source that we're getting all of this stuff from. So Lars Anderson was the first person to report this on March 20th. He said, according to my people in Nebraska, the next head coach of the Huskers basketball team will be Fred Hoiberg. Uh, he's the co-host of the Jay Barker show with Lars Anderson and Carrie Adams. So that happens March 20th. Today's the 22nd. I don't know if you noticed this, but Avery Johnson and Alabama are discussing a buyout, which is very, very strange. But we'll get back to that in a second. If that happens, there's also word that Steve Prom, who's the head coach of Iowa State, is an Alabama graduate. And if he leaves Iowa State and that Alabama job opens up, he goes to Alabama. And Fred could come back to Iowa State? Yes. 
So mm. that's just a rumor out there right now. Nothing official. And that was from that point was made by Aaron Torres from The Athletic. He just had mentioned great point by Norlander here. Iowa State coach Steve Prom is an Alabama grad. Can you imagine him taking the Alabama job and Iowa State sliding in and getting Fred Hoiberg before Nebraska has the chance to lock him in? If I was the Nebraska AD, I'd get him signing signed a contract tonight. That was 12 hours ago. So now there could be a potential war for Fred Hoiberg in the college realm. So this is only good for Fred. So, um, yeah, I think Fred made it clear about the whole recruiting thing, and that was the biggest knock on him, is that he didn't Mm -hmm. like the battle of going and uh, having to deal with all of this age of social media and having to find recruits and doing that. But he did say he likes going in the, the living rooms and talking with families and talking with the actual players. I think it's the the BS of dealing with the business side of it and the, you know, the just the the all the bs that comes with it and guys well and it's i feel like it's more complicated than ever now yes as far as just the the backdoor dealings of how the ncaa functions and and college basketball players uh in in this age where everyone's advocating for these players to be able to get paid and the nba is starting to consider getting rid of the one and done rule and allowing that door to reopen from high school straight to the pros and like college basketball is in a very weird flux state right now that I'm sure is stressful for coaches and program directors at even the best well-funded schools. It's crazy. And you just see all this stuff that was going on with Will Wade at LSU and just, you know, knowing Fred Hoiberg's personality, he just isn't like that. And he doesn't want to deal with crap like that. So that makes sense why he got frustrated and just didn't want to deal with that anymore. And recruiting is a 365-day-a-year type of job. You always have to be recruiting. Always. And now with social media, that just only adds another element to it. Um, and with with teenage kids, at, at young as 12, 11, 12 years old, who are being recruited and already being scouted, it's only gotten more difficult. So uh, this is only good for the Bulls, though. Like Fred Hoiberg getting offered and being talked about at multiple positions, it's only good for the Bulls if they want to get off that money for next year. So, um, yeah, and, and shout out to Fred for handling uh, the questions that have, of course, started rolling in with these reports uh, because he, you know, he's around. His son Jack is a walk on for Michigan State, so he was at the game yesterday. Uh, and you know, of course, reporters found him and asked him about uh, you know to address these rumors with Nebraska, and his answer was, "quote I'm just sitting here enjoying the game." so you know maybe he's just playing coy and it is pretty much a done deal with Nebraska or maybe the Iowa State thing is still floating out there and he's waiting to see how those dominoes fall but uh, in the meantime it's nice to see Fred just being a father enjoying the fact that his son is you know in the tournament and then you know the other thing that I thought was interesting about this and you know it's kind of a topic that's been big uh, since the Michigan State game happened yesterday. And Jordan, I'm curious about what you think. Fred was responding to Tom Izzo's coaching style because there was that moment in that game yesterday where Tom Izzo got all up in the face of one of his players uh, and the cameras caught it as they were on their way to a timeout. And it was it was like not nothing new, in my opinion. It was the way that we've seen Tom Izzo get heated with his players several times before. Um, and uh, so this was... Uh, Fred's son Jack Hoiberg 
saying of Tom Izzo, he's definitely intense, but he does it in such a caring way. You may not realize as he's yelling or screaming, but when you sit back, you realize he cares for each and every one of us on the team. The media don't always see what goes on behind the scenes. That's Fred Hoiberg's son, Jack, a walk-on at Michigan State. Um, I had no problem with what Tom Izzo did in that game yesterday. I, like, obviously, we are living in an age where people are l- a little bit more quick to be judgmental of behavior like that and say, you know, you're you're too angry, you're too aggressive, you know, you need to be nicer to these kids. But, you know, then there are people saying, too, come on, like, we coddle these kids, we tell them that the world is theirs on a silver platter from the day that they're 10 on an AAU team. I have no problem with what Tom Izzo did yesterday. What about yeah, you? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with it either, really. The bad thing is, is with social media again, it just goes back to that. Is everybody catches this on film and then it's spread like wildfire, you know? When players are recruited, they know what they're getting into. They know who the coach is going to be. And they know, they know who they're going to get coached by for four years. You know what you're signing up for. I try not to base it off of just one clip, right? I, I think back to Tom Crean for a second, a guy that I watched for four years while I was at Indiana. The nicest guy in the world couldn't say a, a bad bad thing about Tom Creed, but there was ten percent of the time where he would get fired up, and you wouldn't you would hardly ever see that from him. But there are times where coaches do this and they get fired up about stuff. But some players just need that and want that to get better. It's just the style. And Tom Izzo's from that class of basketball coaches that learned from that, right? And if the players on the team don't have a problem with it either, if it's, if it's not stepping over the line and the players don't have a problem with it, and it, it isn't getting to a point where it's a university problem or anything like that, it's basketball, it's sports, it's competitive, it's heat of the moment type of stuff. We don't know exactly what was said by Tom Izzo in that particular instance yesterday, but the fact that every, like not every single, but so many of his players, past and present, came to his defense when people started going in on Izzo for that behavior, saying, you know, this is how coaching is done. Like sometimes you gotta have the bad, you know, the bad cop. Sometimes you gotta have a guy yelling in your face for the lessons to really sink in. Uh, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., who you know is a rookie with Memphis, who was a top five pick in in last year's draft, uh, was one of the many players to come to his defense and say, "Yo, this is this is what coaching is." So, I, I mean, to me, the the crazy oversensitivity about this, like, and guess what? Like, as far as Bulls fans and what we're dealing with right now, some people are sick of Jim Boylan and and hoping that that he doesn't come back next year. And some people have an issue with the way that he was doing things. His players that had, you know, I think the the term near mutiny was overblown, according to people within the organization, but even still had their issues with the way Boylan was conducting things. But the reason that Fred was let go and Boylan was put in his place is because Paxson wanted a bad cop, much like Tom Izzo. So it is a it is a quality in coaches, especially for young players that is still very much I don't value. Know. I, I take it from the players who played for him and, and dealt with it firsthand, like you said. They all came to his defense. So uh, let's move on, though. Let's get to a couple other Bulls-related Bulls things. Uh, quickly, mention to uh, shout out to the Bulls G League team making their first playoff appearance. Windy City Bulls in the G League playoffs for the first time ever. So shout out to the Windy City Bulls. Uh, should let people know that 
their leading scorer. Some people were asking this, like, who's the leading scorer on the G League team? Is there anybody down there that could potentially move to the Bulls uh, that could help them out next year? Is there anybody that we should be looking at? Uh, I would say probably not. Although... No, most of them are already on the active roster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jakar Sampson is their leading scorer with 21.2 points per game. A um, couple other guys, too, just to make mention of. Uh, Walter Lemon Jr. was another guy that the Bulls thought about bringing up to try to mentor Chris Dunn. He's averaging 19.8 points per game and 8.8 assists. A uh, few other guys that are on that team, Michael Mulder, CJ Fair. Some of these names you will recognize from college. Uh, Kaiser Gates was a guy that the Bulls uh, had in summer league last year, uh, this summer, and then invited to join the G League team. Uh, Raleigh Alkins has been down there. That was a guy that we had mentioned too that signed to the two way contract. Haven't heard much from him either. Uh, he's averaging 11.6 points, 5.6 rebounds, 2.9 assists. He hasn't been all that great down in the G League this year. Uh, the three-point percentage, not all that great. The field goal percentage, not all that great either. Uh, but shout-out to the Windy City Bulls. Good for them. First playoff appearance ever. So, Man, do, do you think Blakeney, or at least some part of Blakeney, is really upset that he is not leading that team in scoring as they make their way towards the playoffs? I, I bet you he just... I bet you there's a small part of him that wishes he could just drop down there for a couple games. And he he did play. Just so he could go in, jack, jack up 20 shots, score 35 points. I mean, he did play in two games this year down there with them. And uh, so I bet you there is a small part of him that wishes he could go down there and drop whatever he averaged. I think last year was like 32 points per game. And the two games he did play in was like 48 points he had last year. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the top scorers in the G League last season. Yeah, he broke uh, the record for points per game last year in the G League. So, yeah, so shout out to them. Shout out to the G League team. That's good to see. And and meanwhile, Blakeney, as a member of the Bulls this season, has mostly just been a joke. Um, like, man, that dude, like my buddy John on Outsider says it all the time. He's like, he, I think, like, I think, I think Blakeney, like, his brain is broken because that dude does not know how to do anything other than dribble and shoot. So he wants That's to all do, he does. man. It's so, uh, it's 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 so heartwarmingly predictable. It is just, it is. Oh my gosh, it makes me smile. It's the one skill that got him to the NBA, right? And that's what he's capitalizing on. It's the one skill that that got him attention in the G League. His ability to use his athleticism and his ability to shoot and score. It's what him what what him got. It's what it got got him his NBA contract, right? Yeah, absolutely. So so if the Windy City Bulls win the G League championship, do they put a banner in the United Center, or do they put a banner? We in... We got a petition for a parade, right? But no, good for them. <laughs> no, I would be like, yeah, that would that would be hilarious, though, right? If they if they did like a parade in a, in a rally. It, for for a G League championship, I I think Fred's too busy planning the parade and the rally for 2021. Though he doesn't have time to plan a G League rally. It would be interesting though if the Bulls, if the Windy City Bulls could pull off some type of championship win, hang that banner next to the Summer League championship too. So, but no, good, like seriously, good for those guys down there though that they've been busting their butts, and it's cool. It, and the G League, the G League playoffs is weird. They are. They're super weird all year. Like, it's a one-game elimination, and then if you get to finals, it's a best-of-three series. Um, 
so yeah, so you've got one game to showcase, and then after that, if you get to the G League Finals, it's a best of three series. So we'll see if uh, the the Windy City Bulls can go on a hot streak here. Uh, a couple other things, though, before we get out of here, let's talk about the United Center's new scoreboard, Matt. What do you think about that? I think it was a must-needed improvement and i like it a lot yeah like good for them for spending the money on this they're a little bit behind uh a lot of teams around the league have already invested in these new you know super high-tech 4k jumbotrons that are much like the the current one at the united center is like standard definition quality um and so this the new one's going to be bigger uh it's going to be 4k I think according to the report, the official report from from the Bulls or from the United Center or whatever, it's going to now be the biggest in all NBA slash NHL stadiums in the country. So for a fan base that complains about a, a, an organization being cheap, uh, and you know, I'm sure that this is going to be added to the list of Michael Reinsdorf's reasons for, hey, look, we aren't cheap. Just like, hey, we spent, you know, However many millions of dollars on the Advocate Center. Look at all that money we spent. I'm sure that this will be his latest addition to that line of uh, that line of uh, examples. But good for them. The Bulls have the money to spend on something like this that they should spend money on. Being a, you know, a team that despite the fact that the Bulls have been irrelevant for years now, are always still leading the league or close to leading the league in attendance. The fans deserve this product and I'm glad that they're spending the money. I agree with you too. And the other thing too, before everybody just starts cracking jokes at the Bulls and slamming the Bulls for this, there's two there's two teams that use the United Center. So the Blackhawks are in on this too. But this is much needed, man. The scoreboard that's currently at the United Center was installed in 2005. So 2005 technology is out of date. They needed this. Needed we didn't even it. have smartphones in 2005. <laughs> You're right. Uh, MySpace was the popular social media app in 2005. Like, that'll yeah. tell you. Facebook was still restricted to, like, you know, 100 colleges around the United States. <laughs> I don't even think Twitter was around in 2005 yet. Or if it was, it, like, nobody knew about it yet. It was still being developed. So... That kind of tells you desperately the technology. And if 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 you're listening to this and you've sat in the 300 level, either for a Blackhawks or a Bulls game, you understand this. Like, it's kind of hard when when you're trying to look up when you're trying to look for stats or other things on the scoreboard or around the arena. It's kind of difficult to find those things. And now with a bigger scoreboard, it allows the Bulls and the Blackhawks to really give you more information. Yeah, And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing for fans, but to me, that's good. I want to see more information, and I hope they use it to give you more useful information, not more ads, and I'm sure there will be more ads and opportunities for that, but at least this will give you more useful in-game information and more replays, and for people that might be sitting up in the 300 level that can't see every single replay, this will give you a high-definition replay from every angle that you're sitting throughout the stadium. And, Jordan, you know what I think is the most important element of this new Jumbotron? What's that? They've got to get better 
high quality HD animation, new animation for the Duncan race <laughs> between the third and fourth quarters. Yes. I need to see a higher res race between Cuppy Coffee and Dashing Donut and B- B- Billy Bagel or whatever the hell his name is. Give me that. Give me a better Duncan race. I wonder if they're going to use that first of its kind continuous inner ring that's uh, going to be underneath the scoreboard. So that's the first time you're going to ever see something like that. So there's going to be an LED screen that's underneath the scoreboard. And if you don't fully grasp what I'm saying, we posted all the pictures on our Twitter page at Locked on Bulls and also on Instagram at Locked on Bulls to better be able to see this. But there's going to be a ring underneath the scoreboard that has all LED screens for people sitting in the 100 level. Um, maybe they'll use it for that, but... The scoreboard moves up and down. They've got screens that can come down, that can come up. It's going to be crazy, and it's—I think it, it's—it's long overdue, and it's only going to—it's only going to add to the in-game experience that you have both at Blackhawks games and at Bulls games. So I'm excited for it. Absolutely, and uh, concerts too. Yes. Definitely. You know, it's probably going to uh, increase entertainment value for all the concerts that come through the United States. Uh, the, there was a couple concerns. I was just reading through the the FAQs that the United Center had released, and some people were asking if this is the size of the scoreboard. Is this going to block anybody's view while they're sitting in any certain seats? And both the Blackhawks and the Bulls wanted to let people know that this is not going to obstruct anybody's view from anywhere you're sitting, whether you're sitting in the 100, 200, or 300 level sections. So that's a good thing, too. I'm all on board for this, though. There's much needed upgrade. Um, And the other thing, too, I think a lot of people were asking was how much will the new scoreboard and new sound system cost? Uh, The answer to this was this is a privately privately funded project, so we do not disclose investment, but we are proud to continue our commitment to enhancing the fan experience at the United Center. So I know we had gotten a handful of questions about how much this has cost, who's investing in it, and who's spending the money and where's it going. So there's the answer for you guys there. Boom. Yeah, man, I can't wait. So they're inst- I want. I think they're installing it in August. Is that right? Um, I think that's what I read. That's what it sounded like. August or early September. Right. But the the goal is to have it completely installed, ready to go before tip off on opening night. Before next season starts. So definitely, we got to get to a game at some point next season. Absolutely. And check that out. Absolutely. So new scoreboard going to be awesome. The atrium being updated too at the United Center, so they're doing some things uh, for people that go to games, and not just the Black or not just the Bulls, but just the Blackhawks too. So uh, excited, and this is good. They got they got to put MJ back outside, man. I don't like MJ in the atrium. Just had to get that in there. I'm I'm, in, I'm indifferent. I do like it from the optical standpoint of taking pictures and it being like in front of the stadium as opposed to inside, but. Uh, I understand why they did it and to preserve the statue too with the weather and all of that. Um, But yeah, like you said, as far as picture taking and iconic wise being in front of the stadium, I I do kind of tend to agree with you. But from a preservation standpoint, it makes sense to put it back, put it inside. There's there's uh, advantages and disadvantages to it. But I think the atrium's open at any time, right? Or there's a there's it is. There's time frames where you can go every day to go and take pictures and see it and all of that, right? Yeah. But, you know, you could also 
just go and see it anytime, day or night that you wanted to when it was outside the stadium. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they've got plans to put something else in front of there. So uh, maybe RG- that'll happen R- when the Bulls win a championship. An RG Diagono <laughs> statue of him of him <laughs> diving out of bounds on that amazing play from a couple weeks ago that led to the eventual auto to Levine Elliott. Oh, man, or a Jim Boylan statue. Make an Archie diving statue. I'm pretty sure that Jim Boylan is already advocating for that. This is a grit and toughness statue. A, a, yeah, exactly. A juicy you, you Jack can, statue. Know, carve the words grit and toughness into the statue above Archie diving out of bounds. With the final couple minutes here, let's talk a little bit about Bulls and Jazz tonight. Or not tonight, uh, Saturday night. So with the final few games coming off now a two-game winning streak for the Bulls. The wild thing that we didn't talk about yet, uh, yesterday's episode, though. You ain't no Michael Jordan. Cristiano Felicio, is he having a career week? You can't week? call it a is career week, going on man. Here? I have to start Just because there. this kid like puts in 10 points and grabs some rebounds. It legitimately no. is a career. You can't but call this it is a, a career week for him, though. You can't call it a career week. But because it is it's compared like, to oh, his man, career. That's like. This is a, a career defining week. You got this is the best week of this this young player's career, and like it's setting a standard for what happens. Uh, you know what happens moving forward. Felicio should not have an NBA career, so I refuse to call it a career week. No, get out of here. He looks. Uh, he he looks. You ain't no Michael Jordan. But it's a it's a career week compared less to everything else useless he's done. Than completely useless. Like no, stop. Do like don't even give that any credence. We can't talk about Felicio having a, a you know a, a stat line of something other than zeros across the board and say, oh, somebody's having a career week. No, the only thing you can say when you're talking about Felicio is that it is ridiculous that nobody is held accountable for that man's contract. Good for him. I'm not, I'm not, you know, Felicio's got a giant grin on his face all the time, and he should, because he is robbing this organization of $32 million. That guy can't play. Can't play. Yeah, it is. But compared to to what else he's done. Listen to yourself, Jordan. I know. I'm just saying, though, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But listen to this. Crazy, man. You sound insane. (laughs) Do you realize that? I, this is why I don't understand this, though. What? Where did this come from? How did this happen? That's what I'm asking. Like, w- w- did he wake up on on Saturday afternoon and say, I- "I'm just going to decide to start playing decent basketball in 20 minutes a night"? Like, that's where I don't understand. How did this happen? Listen to this, Matt. In two games. He's averaging 20 minutes a night, 12 and a half points, 62%, 62.5% from the field on eight shot attempts. He's averaging seven rebounds a game. 12 uh, and a half points, seven rebounds a game. Crash opponents. Where did this come from? Giving Felicio some minutes. And as to his field goal That's percentage, the, am I supposed to be impressed that he's making 60% of his layups? No. Am I supposed to be impressed that he's making 60% of his lob pick and roll attempts? Because guess what? When he misses, it is laugh out loud, funny, terrible. That's true, too. How many times have we I watched agree. Felicio miss a wide open layup? How many times have we watched Felicio fail miserably at catching while rolling to the rim for either an alley-oop or a simple pick and roll layup? No, I agree. 
I agree. I'm not giving him credit for 60% from the field when 100% of his shot attempts come within two feet of the rim. Stop! Oh, just giving him credit for two games doesn't mean I'm saying, like, bring him back and all of a sudden make him your starting center. But, okay, giving him two, giving him credit for two games, giving him credit for two games in an 82-game season in which he is making $8 million to be the butt of a joke? Come on, man. Eight, 82 <laughs> yeah, games. Two games, he's made some layups. Stop. I know. It's just weird. It's just very weird. Very strange. This doesn't normally happen. I, I will say it like his his impact on the court in these last two games has been upsetting for me because usually you say throw Felicio in there for more minutes. We need to tank this game away, and it backfired. <laughs> like I will say that if 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 that is giving him credit. I have wanted the, more Felicio minutes every time that I the Bulls have been in a late game situation where I want them to lose that game, and it the the Felicio tank commander in the last two games that I really wanted the Bulls to lose backfired. So I guess that's a backhanded compliment because if you if you can't rely on Felicio as your tank commander, my God, how where do you go? Where do you go from there? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I think that the basketball gods are looking down on us this entire season and just saying, what can we do to mess with Bulls fans' heads? And let's just steer them in the opposite direction this entire year just to mess with them. And this is just another example of that, right? We'll play Cristiano Felicio more minutes and give him 20 minutes a night, but then all of a sudden he's going to shoot over 60% on eight shots a night. Like, that is crazy. That's ridiculous, Matt. We, we've never seen Cristiano Felicio shoot this way. That's why I was like, what Again, is going shoot, on? Shoot is a generous so that's why term. I just... Le, lay ball, yeah, lay ball in right. hoop making without baskets. tripping over Let's his own feet basket. Is, is, I think, more appropriate. <laughs> that's true. Bottom line, um, he bottom line, he ain't no Michael Jordan. The, you ain't no Michael Jordan. Uh, there it is. And the gifts have been be- better than the play. So... Um, Concerning the Jazz, though, let's go back to that. Sorry, I got us off track on that. Expecting from the Jazz tonight, they're going to come into Chicago and really desperately need to win this game. When we saw them in Utah, it was a case of Joe Ingles, Joe Ingles, and Joe Ingles. Uh, The Bulls are going to have to find a way to stop the Jazz from shooting threes. This has been a common theme all year long. I don't know how the Bulls are going to do that because the perimeter defense hasn't been good. The defense in general hasn't been good either. It's going to be another one of those nights where even if you've got Otto Porter and Zach Levine playing, I hope that I hope that this is a game where we can breathe a sigh of relief and I'm not rooting, I'm not sitting here rooting for blowouts but at the same time if we're looking for good things to happen at the same time hoping for a close loss and a good tank loss I just hope the Bulls don't get blown out by 30 at home but you got to start with with some type of perimeter defense and 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 this is going to be a case tomorrow night with the Jazz desperately needing to win this game yeah I mean the uh going back to that game in January 
the Bulls got outscored behind the three-point line by 27. Uh, the Jazz made 16 threes. The Bulls made seven. And the Jazz didn't even shoot particularly like efficiently. They shot 45 threes in total, so just 35%. Um, outside of Ingles, as you said, he went four for 10 on the night. Mitchell was only four of 13. Crowder was one of seven from downtown off the bench. Uh, Corver did have a strong game off the bench, uh, four of eight for 16. So um, obviously it starts there because this was a game when, you know, this was before Wendell went down. This was before Chandler Hutchison went down. Markinen, Dunn, and Levine, all healthy, all playing, uh, you know, 30-plus minutes. Uh and this was pre uh, pre Jabari and Bobby trade, so Parker chipped uh, chipped in eleven off the bench in that game. Uh, so you know it's going to be different. I think we'll we'll see what happens with Levine and Otto. Still no word as to whether or not they're going to play tomorrow night after sitting out uh, the Wednesday game. I I hope that they just rest those guys, and this is going to be a you know yeah it's never fun to get blown out at home, but. I think that's what's going to happen. The, the Jazz are just too good. Uh, Mitchell has been balling. They're coming off of a really ugly win to the Hawks that you had mentioned earlier in today's episode that I'm sure that they're pissed off about. Oh, and by the way, they are in the midst of a four-team tie between the five and the eight seed in the Western Conference at 42 and 30. So they, unlike the Bulls, have something to play for. Looking through the month of March... And the Utah Jazz in the month of March have the second best net rating of any team. And of course, this is classic. Anytime the Bulls go up against any opponent outside of the Washington Wizards and the Phoenix Suns, the Bulls seemingly seemingly in the month of March have gone up against the best team with a high net rating or a high offensive rating or one of the best defensive ratings. It's just the way that things have lined up in the month of March. And sure enough, the Utah Jazz, behind the Houston Rockets, have the best net rating in the month of March through 11 games. So at a plus eight, uh, their offensive rating sits at number nine at 112.6, and their defensive rating is third in the NBA in the month of March at 104.7. So... I would say anybody out there that's looking for the Bulls to drop this game to a team that desperately needs a win on Saturday, you can probably breathe a sigh of relief. Although the Bulls do play pretty solid at home. So, again, if the Bulls can't stop anything at the perimeter, I think we'll be all right. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not worried about this one being an accidental win. I think uh, I think Utah is going to handle us uh, pretty pretty effortlessly. Uh, I'm I'm excited to watch Donovan Mitchell play. Uh, I mean he's he's an exciting exciting young player. Uh, outside of marketing, easily one of the if you were to redraft the 2017 draft class, um, guys would be at the top as opposed to where he went. Um, and I'm you know. We'll, we'll see where they end up in their seeding. The Jazz probably want to stay uh, somewhere as the you know um, six or seven because they want to stay out of Golden State's bracket, assuming that the Warriors do hang on and, and keep the one seed uh, away from Denver because you don't want to play Golden State in round one, so you don't want to fall the eight seed, but you don't want to go all the way up to the four seed uh, or, or, sorry, the five seed where if you beat uh, the... 
you know, right now it's Portland at the four. If you win that four five series, then you're rewarded with Golden State in round two. So uh, the Jazz are in a tricky situation right now with uh, the same record as the Thunder, the Spurs and the Clippers five through eight. Um, But, you know, most teams, they're not going to try and finagle their way around to be like, all right, well, this is the matchup we're going to try and get in round one. They're probably just trying to win games to develop that uh, that momentum going into the NBA playoffs because even more so than seeding, that's probably more important. The Utah Jazz are shooting the fifth most threes per game in the month of March, too. Should uh, also throw that in there. 36.9 three-point attempts per game. They're shooting 36.2% from three. The Bulls, yeah, they're shooting the least amount of threes in the month of March. 24.6 three-point attempts per game. They're shooting 37.3%. So the Jazz are taking 12 more threes than the Bulls are in the month of March. So... If uh if the Jazz are going to come out and do that tonight, I would ima- or tomorrow night, I would imagine that uh, things are going to going to go the way that they should. So with that, I think that's all I've got. Lowry Markkinen, if if I can say one thing, I hope Lowry Markkinen can build off the game that he did have on Wednesday night against the Wizards. And same thing with Chris Dunn, even if Zach Levine and Otto Porter do play, uh, that's something, even if he doesn't have a big game like the 24 shots or something, I want to see him be efficient. I want to see Chris Dunn still build off of these games that he's had in March at the end of February, you know, even if his shot total does drop down. Still want him to see uh, see a relatively high assist total, uh, drop down on those turnovers, and stay out of foul trouble. You know, he's going to be guarding, he's probably going to be guarding Donovan Mitchell or Ricky Rubio or some combination of both of those guys. I would assume that he's going to probably be tasked with going after Donovan Mitchell. So pay attention to that matchup and see what Chris Dunn's going to be doing in foul trouble. Because if he gets into foul trouble early again, then you're going to see a lot of Shaq Harrison. You're going to see a lot of Ryan Archidiakono. But uh, as far as trade value and all of that, I'd like to see Chris Dunn build off that. And perhaps we'll see if he is as aggressive as he was offensively in their uh their game their, their victory over Washington on Wednesday but maybe you know as you were talking about efficiency let's try and be a little more efficient than than 26 points on 24 shots 10 to 24 like <laughs> yeah he yeah, it was one of his best stat lines of of the season if you're just talking about points assists and rebounds but 10 of 24 not great uh hopefully Dunn can do better and if it is in fact another game without Levine and Otto there will be opportunities for Dunn to to score and to look to find his shot in addition to creating. Uh, and you just, you know, as you said, hope he has an efficient game, keeps the keeps the turnovers to a minimum because, you know, I, I think it's too late for Dunn at this point to save his, uh, save his job as this team's starting point guard. I think we figured out it doesn't work. But as you said, if, if the kid can at least increase his trade value a little bit in this last stretch of games, you know, I, I'm not opposed to that. Just don't just don't win. <laughs> look, make yourself look good, but don't win. For the love of God, don't win. Yeah, especially if Cleveland continues their win streak, which who knows if that'll continue to happen this weekend. 
But nonetheless, I think that's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. Enjoy March Madness happening this weekend. We'd love to hear from you. 331-979-1369. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line. Drop all of your questions, your comments. We'd love for you to drop a voicemail too. You got anything you want to say? You want to drop your comments? You want to drop a question? We'd love to hear from you. 331-979-1369. Watching these games this weekend. Any prospects you want to talk about? You want to talk about the Bulls and Jazz on Saturday? Hit us up. You can always drop us a tweet. Interact with us there on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. We're on Instagram. Go give us a follow there at Locked On Bulls. On Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked On Shy Bulls. We're live on Dash Radio, Dash Radio.com, and the Dash Radio app. Every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation. Have a wonderful weekend. We back on Monday with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. 